Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and we have a really awesome segment for you today. But first, I want to introduce you an exciting event we have happening March 30th through April 1st, and that's our Spring Virtual Hunting Series. This is a free virtual event where we're giving away $7,500 in prizes and hosting virtual seminars at 7 p.m. Central Time each night. On night one, we'll be joined by four-time national turkey calling champion Scott Ellis and Woodhaven Calls founder Mike Pentecost talking all things turkey hunting. On night two, we'll be talking land management and fall preparation with Michael Waddell, a bone collector. And on night three, we're going to be joined by two-time Olympic gold medalist Vincent Hancock to talk trap shooting. Tons of prizes like shotguns, bows, and gear will be given away along with lots of great information. But you need to register at www.shields.com forward slash hunt series to get registered to win those prizes. We have it linked in the description of this podcast. So just click that link below and get yourself registered. Today we have some very special guests with us. And that is Nate Hosey and Randy Birdsong of Headhunters TV, which can be found on the Outdoor Channel. Let's jump right into it with you, Nate. How did you uh, develop a passion for the outdoors? Well, how's everybody doing today? Thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, for me, it started when I was five years old. My grandpa and my dad, they used to take me out on the weekends. We'd hunt over bird dogs and chase pheasants and grouse and woodcock. And, uh, you know, as kind of my hunting stuff started to grow then I got out for deer season with my grandfather and then into turkeys so really you know it started when I was five and it started over bird dogs out chasing game birds and pheasants and all and then it just kind of grew from there and once I heard a turkey gobble I was like well I'm hooked on this right here you know what I mean you go out there and have a conversation with a old lovesick gobbler so you know really it started at five years old for me and I've been hooked ever since you know hunting for me is it's always been some, something that's such a blessing to be out there in God's creation and enjoy the outdoors and, you know, have so much respect for the animals and the creation he's made. So I'm thankful to be a hunter and proud to be a part of Headhunters TV. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Now, uh, now on to you, Randy. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and how you fell in love with the outdoors? Yeah, so for me, man, I was lucky enough to have a dad that was that was consumed with hunting just like I am now. But he started taking me out at a very early age, just a couple years old. He would take me out to the duck field and uh, carry me in a five-gallon bucket and set me out there while they were hunting. So I, I got to be a part of it. I wasn't participating, you know, obviously at that time, but just got to see what it was all about and just got hooked. And that's kind of where it started with me was on the waterfowl side. And then that obviously progressed into, into big game hunting on the deer side and getting to go to deer camp with my grandpas and my dad and just honestly just got hooked and consumed at a, at a very early age and it's only grown over the years from there so um to say i'm passionate about it would probably be an understatement at this point <laughs> that's very cool I, you know i would love to see you just as a little kid in a five gallon bucket uh, just... oh yeah i still i still carry him to the field but he oh. doesn't fit <laughs> 
bucket anymore. The bucket. <laughs> I'm outgrowing the five gallon bucket. <laughs> yeah, you gotta gotta move to a wheelbarrow now, right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> bucket is larger, substantially larger. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, Headhunters TV. How did it all start, and um, you know, what's you guys' goal and, and vision with it? How do you make it different than everything else out there? You want to take a first bird? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, as far as as far as how it started, you know, like I said, I I grew up and and was passionate about the outdoors from an early age, and then, you know, obviously back in those days, you know, with the TNN days and the hunting shows and the the Monster Buck series and and everything that. You know, a lot of our friends now in the outdoors was doing, which, it, you know, juries, kiskies, everybody was putting out VHS tapes at that time. And, man, I just loved being able to to feel like I was a part of that and and just was so consumed with it that I knew growing up or growing up that I, I didn't know how I was going to make it work. But I knew the ultimate goal was to be able to make a, a living in the outdoor industry. And, you know, I went to college and, and kind of done some stuff and then kind of dabbled in the outdoor industry. And then as I got out of college. I just had, I was at a crossroads, you know, to, to kind of either go for it full or, or kind of have to hang it up and just do it as a hobby and, and pick up a real job. And, and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I rolled the dice and about that same time I met Nate at a sports show and we got to talking and ended up just being buddies, got to be good friends. And we were both kind of at the same point in our life where we were doing stuff for other people, but I guess the ultimate goal kind of for both of us was to eventually be able to do something on our own and hopefully be able to make a living for our families at it. And man, honestly, it's kind of a Cinderella story. We just rolled the dice. Neither one of us had anything to begin with. And not that we do now, but at least we've been fortunate enough and blessed enough over the last 10 years to, to, to be able to make some sort of living at it and uh, to be able to support our families doing something that we love. So pretty cool pretty cool journey it's been over the last 10 years man and and i wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted to do it with anybody else nate nate's become like a brother to me and it's uh it's been a it's been a ride for sure it's mm -hmm. been compared to a notebook of hunting stores you know and and like randy said man it, we were both were just kind of at a crossroads in our life and you know it, it was such a blessing to kind of you know god kind of put us together as far as meeting each other and i had been a fan of randy's you know he was hunting with whitetail freaks and stuff like that and i'm like man guy's the real deal and uh you know to this day he's only become more of the real deal to me you know what i mean being able to be share the woods with him and see his knowledge as a as a hunter of anything that he goes after a trapper or anything like that and then you know all that he does from the business side of things and, and growing this into what it does has been something that there's an extreme appreciation level on my end as well and and like he said we are like brothers and we balance each other out well and i think what makes headhunters successful is the fact that we've never started headhunters tv and never went into it with the idea like hey let's let's go out there and let people see that we're great hunters or you know the idea was never the idea to even think of ourselves as pro hunters because to us there's no such thing in my opinion because an animal could humble you at any point you know we're all out there learning all the time we are blessed to be out there a lot and do it for a living and promote and grow this sport but our goal from day one was just to go out there and let people know that we love it. You know, we love to hunt and we love the camaraderie of deer camp and turkey camp and all the camps we get to go across and the friendships we've made along the way. And, you know, like Randy said, it really is to an extent a Cinderella story for any kind of redneck because, you know, we do consider ourselves living the dream. We are blessed to hunt all over the country with amazing people, enjoy God's creation. And, and we've got a great team that we have built over the years 
you know, of people who've been driving this thing to do good for the sport of hunting and the sport of the outdoors and fishing, you know, all that stuff. And uh, we take it serious to do a good job of being ethical, respectful hunters who are going to make this sport better for generations to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you guys just do a wonderful job of, you know, sh showing everything that that goes into a TV show, everything that goes into the outdoors, how how hard you have to work for things, and, you know, and, and, you know, I feel blessed and fortunate to be in the in the outdoor industry, too. It's kind of a different path than you guys. But, uh, you know, as long as you're as long as you're willing to work hard, um, you know, good things will happen. And we're no all doubt. And no matter what position you're in, all of us on the outdoor team that are out there promoting the sport of hunting and fishing and the outdoors, hey, we're all in it together, and you know we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, what what do you guys enjoy most about hunting? Man, for me, I think uh, it's kind of on two different ends of the spectrum. Whenever I think about that question, because. For me, it's it's one end of the spectrum is the atmosphere. You know, like I said, I, I grew up around old school deer camps growing up, and I love that part of it. You know, I love just being around everybody and being in that atmosphere of hunting camp and, and just seeing everybody bring in their deer and hang them up on the skinning poles. It was just, like I said, it was just the overall atmosphere of it that really kind of hooked me from an early age. I just love being a part of it. And then on the other end of that, spectrum especially you know I, i've always been kind of a hardcore whitetail hunter so the other end of that spectrum for me is just the strategy side of it i love to strategize i love to try to figure out whitetail deer to set up farms to manage farms and just every part of that management side and that strategy side that goes in to a hunt and it doesn't even have to be a successful hunt but just trying to figure out that animal they've always got the upper hand so it, it's almost it's almost always like a huge chess match at the end of the day. And I love that side of it because I, I, I just love the strategy side of it. I, I love getting in and diving in and trying to figure them out. And more times than not, they're going to, they're going to whip me all over the woods, but every once in a while I'm going to come out on top. And, and when you do, man, it just, it's like, okay, all that hard work and all that effort and all that patience and sweat equity, it finally paid off. And uh, that's super cool for me. So like I said, it's it's two completely different sides of this of the spectrum. Whenever you ask that question, but for me, it's it's the camaraderie and the atmosphere side, and then paired with the strategy of of trying to figure stuff out and, and set stuff up to be successful. Mm -hmm. and there's so much truth to that, and I agree with you 100 percent on both sides of that spectrum. You know, when I first got into hunting, you know, I was introduced by my dad and just building that camaraderie, being there for deer camp, and now it's transitioned to to getting my daughter into the outdoors, you know, taking her out turkey hunting, seeing her eyes light up when she got, when a turkey gobbles for the first oh, yeah. time, it's like, daddy, that was so sweet. <laughs> but yeah, I mean the, the chess match part of whitetails, like you just, you hit the nail on the head there, you know, like, especially, you know, if you have a, you know, a decent amount of land that you can manage and, you know, watch deer grow year after year, and they they do whoop your butt sometimes you know they're they're wild animals and and you're going out into their territory so they absolutely have the upper hand but being able to you know put in food plots or you know just all that strategy behind it makes for just just so much adventure that you can't really experience anywhere i else. just do it all for nate to come in and shoot my biggest deer every year that's <laughs> that's really why i do it 
glad he found his way to the truth because, you know, when I come in, my strategy is let him tell me what the best stand is, and then I go sit in it, you know. <laughs> that's my strategy when I go to hunt with Randy. So, you know, that, that's one of those situations that, that I go with strategy-wise. It's all It all makes it worthwhile, though, whenever we bring one back to camp, we get to celebrate at night. I, I, I'm, all, I'm all in a better mood then. That's exactly right. Say hi, Cruz. Come here. Say hi. There's my little boy. Oh, SNX. hi. <laughs> hey, I like that Buzz Lightyear you got there. <laughs> but like Randy, you know, he was saying in that, you know, I think hunting always comes down to that atmosphere and, you know, the tradition of that, as, as you were saying with your daughter and, and Randy with Addie, as she's out there when we're filming at his place, after I've taken the biggest buck on his farm, uh, <laughs> celebrating those moments but you're growing that heritage you're growing that tradition that we all grew up loving and i think that's what carries hunting and and what you know to guys like us you know that's what's made hunting what it is you know it's it's made it such a heritage and such a tradition that's what people are focused on you know when people go hunting most of the people aren't going out there expecting to punch a tag you know we're all going out there to sit there as the sun's coming up and hear a turkey gobbler and listen to the birds waking up or you know it's all about the sights the sounds everything outside of just punching a tag that makes hunting so pure for people to go out there and enjoy. And it's just really good for your soul. And I always tell people, look, if you hunt great, if you don't hunt, you should try it because just going out there and being a part of nature, you know, like I said, I think it's just good for your soul. And, and like Randy said, you know, just the memories and everything that comes with it. I mean, I wouldn't want it any other way. I know that, you know, I'm, I'm so thankful for my grandpa, and my dad for introducing me to hunting because it's something that, you know, inside of me with like my little boy Cruz and Buzz Lightyear, you know, I want to grow that tradition and I want to, I want him to love the woods and, and appreciate and respect the animals like we all do. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've seen quite a resurgence in, you know, interest in hunting in the outdoor industry, you know, um, what, what are your guys' thoughts on, on the future of hunting? Do you like the direction it's going? I mean, I think right now, I think it's got a great buzz. And, and like you said, I mean, it's been pretty dang cool over this last year. You know, we, it was kind of a silver lining, honestly, with the whole, you know, COVID as bad as COVID was and, and as much as it affected our country. If you can take a silver lining out of that, I think it was that it gave people a little bit of extra time to sit around and think of how much they missed it or how much they wanted to try it. And a lot of people did. I mean, they, a lot of people that had never hunted or fished or been in the outdoors before, they said, okay, well, I got all this time on my hand. I'm going to go try it. And man, I mean, what it's done for our industry and kind of given that, that, that fresh, you know, breath of fresh air back into our industry has been incredible over this last year. And, and honestly, I mean, we were at a point where we needed it, you know, it was getting to be a, a pretty, a pretty kind of scary time. You know, I mean, our numbers was, was kind of fading and it seemed like the buzz around hunting and outdoors was kind of leaving. But now I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm super pumped going into this next year, just seeing where it's at now and, and the direction it's going. And I think it's, I think it's critical for us to still kind of keep the, you know, the foot on the gas pedal, so to speak, and, and get as many people out there as we can and, and introduce them to the outdoors because it seems like, and I'm sure Hosey would, would agree, but it seems like the majority of people that hasn't ever tried it, if you can just get them to try it that one time, it's like, okay, I like this. I can do this, you know? And then all of a sudden they find a, a newfound love for something that they didn't even know that they'd be interested in. So it, that's why it's so critical to, to get those first timers out there and introduce as many people as we can, because man, it's just so critical for the overall future of, of the outdoors and hunting and fishing and, 
trapping and everything that goes on out there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's great to see so many people getting into it because one more license sales means just more funding towards habitat improvement and preserving natural resources. And, you know, we're, we're in a great time right now coming into spring to introduce people, you know, turkey hunting's coming up. It's a time where people have been, you know, cooped up all winter and can, you know, get out and experience spring grass growing, turkeys gobbling. It's just, if you haven't been turkey hunting, it's just, it's something to behold. (laughs) Hearing Hearing that, seeing that gobbler come in, fluff up and just, you know, gobble right in your face. Oh, Nothing. You and like Hosey it. are going to be best friends. I wish I could. <laughs> I know I can't, but I wish I could. <laughs> I'll tell you what Randy was saying too, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty neat. And I think what there's a, Hosey, mis- we can't see nothing but your, but your mouth. How about now? <laughs> there, there you go. go. Typical. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, like typically people who don't hunt or have never tried it, might not be because they don't like hunting, but they may have never been introduced to it or anything like that. And I think in society today, sometimes there's a misconception to what makes a true hunter. And I mean, I think when people are introduced and they see that true hunters are conservationists, you know, and we're out there year in, year out, like Randy said, he's working on his farm constantly here at my little lease. Like my father-in-law has hunted his whole life, but my wife and all, it's a big tradition for us. Now we've got into all the food plot stuff and the strategy stuff of, uh, side of things. And for him, it's like a whole new atmosphere of hunting because you start to see that you're basically trying your best that so so these animals have the best life they could on your piece of ground and all around you to grow the sport, to grow, you know, the numbers and animals to make it better. So I think when people see that a hunter is a conservationist outside of just the idea of somebody who walks out their front door and shoots a deer, like that's what some people think hunting is. You know, I, I think it really enlightens them to try more when they see all that really goes into being a uh, hunter and a conservationist and mm. and to even and to even take that one step further just just to you know continue on what nate was saying i mean it makes me think too like this past year we were fortunate enough my family and i and and a couple of our close buddies ended up buying a, a property here in missouri and you know when you when you think of of hunters like some people do and think of them being just straight killers it's almost to me, it's almost, it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it's almost 180 degrees away from there. And I've really seen that over the last year of, of owning our own piece of property, because what happens is, is when you get a piece of property and, and whenever it means as much as it does to like us, and, and we're, we're out there every day trying to make this property the absolute best that we can for the wildlife, it almost becomes a situation to where you don't want to shoot anything off of it. As, as weird as that is to sound, like you go out there and you got three turkeys gobbling in the morning and you're sitting there before season, you're listening to those three turkeys gobble every morning and you just, you get fired up because you're hearing turkeys gobble on your own property and you go out the next morning, it's opening day. A part of you don't, doesn't even, you almost in the back of your mind hope that that turkey doesn't come in just so you can hear him gobble the next day. And I know that's weird to sound, to people that hasn't ever had their own properties or, you know, doesn't have their own places to hunt. But man, the love we have for these animals is second to none. I mean, it, it is truly incredible what they actually mean to us and, and the, the steps and the processes and really the, just the, the overall sacrifice that we make to make these places better and to make the hunting better in, 
in general and overall, it's there's there's a lot more to a hunter than being a killer. A hundred percent. You know, people see Instagram photos of a person with a big buck, but they really don't see just like the level of intimacy and effort that people put into it, you know, and, and you don't even have to own your own land to do that. I mean, you start running trail cameras and you start developing history with a certain buck, you give them a name and, you know, every time you go out there, pull your camera, it's like, Oh, is that, is that clean 10 on there? You know, where's he at? It's and like a you, relationship. You're building a relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Courting that animal waiting, hoping to run into it. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, you yeah, know, it's, it's such a great feeling when you actually harvest it. But, you know, after, after you do, then you just you sort of almost have that empty feeling like, oh, he's never going to show up on my camera card anymore. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it's bad. We get out of his place here, Turkey Goblin. He gets back in the truck. I was like, we going to go after that one? He said, it was a crow. I heard a crow. <laughs> Oh man, that's great. So Nate, you, uh, you've got an incredible background behind you there. Just like deer stacked up everywhere. And, um, I imagine you've got, uh, you've got a hunting story or two. I would like to hear, I'd like to hear the story on, on your all time favorite hunt. Randy, you're next. Okay. I mean, that is a really like, that is a really, really tough question to answer because I feel like I've had so many hunts that for so many reasons are my favorite, you know, I mean, starting with my grandpa, you know, eating those, uh, what are that? The taste of cake, coconut cream pies at the base of the tree, you know, my first year out there hunting and, uh, shooting a spike, you know, my first buck and all that stuff. But I've had so many memories, but since you you compliment on the background, if you could see this deer right here, I don't know if I'm on the right one. I think I am, but that 12, Right yep. underneath that flag. You see him there? Oh, sure do. On, in so, all his glory. <laughs> yeah. Up until this past year, he was my best buck to date. And what was really neat about that buck was we were hunting in Montana. And uh, we used to go out a few days early, scout, and try to, you know, because at that time, early in September like that, they're still on a pattern to an extent, you know. So you go out there, and it's really a fun chess match because you watch them from a distance, see what they're doing. And then you go in, you make your moves, we hang our sets, and and hope to punch and tag. And in this particular year, we had gone out there and there was these three or four different bucks coming through the fence gap every single night. I mean, just like clockwork. Like it was like, we are going to smoke one of them come opening day and uh, come opening day. We get ready. We're going over there to hunt. Randy's going to a spot with the deer that he's had amazing history with. And um, we go down in there and the farmer happens to get out to check his pivot. And as he does, He's got like a couple dogs with him in the truck and they take off down on the river bottom where all these deer were coming from. And I mean, deer just start running everywhere. I mean, everywhere. So like, we're just like, what are the chances that this could happen right now? So long story short, that night Birdsong comes in and you know, he had connected on this deer that he had incredible history with. We're all celebrating, having a good time and fired up. And you know, the hunt's already been made on day one. He, he connected with this amazing buck. So he's like, man, I'll tell you what, you know, you need to go over to this other spot we've been looking and maybe just, you know, try a plan B and look. And I went over and started scouting the next morning. I caught a glimpse of this buck and I was like, I don't know what it is, but it's a giant. And Bird's like, I saw a big deer in there the one night I was watching it, but I couldn't get a good look at him. So that evening, you know, we had a set in there. It was kind of off the mark a little bit, but we were like, let's play it safe. And we eased on in there and all these deer came out and, you know, no big deer, no big deer. So we're sitting there we're like, ah, maybe it was one night. 
just before last slide, I look and I can see him coming. And at that point, I can see him because I'm looking at him the first time from 500 yards plus. And when he stepped out at like 70 some yards, me and Scoob were both were like, oh my goodness gracious, like just a clean, straight 12 point, like as pretty as a deer can be. And he comes out and he takes off and he gets out in the alfalfa before we can get a shot, never was close enough. So we come back, we show Randy, we're all like, man, that's a, that's a tank. Like that's a tank of a deer, especially for Montana. And uh, the next night we went in, moved a little closer. We had him at 64 yards. I almost shot that night. And he got by us again. So we had one more night that it was going to be the right wind, and we we're getting towards the end of the hunt. And uh, we eased into this stand that Randy had hung. I guess it would have been the year before or two years before Randy had hung. And, and we were like, man, I think that deer is actually by that stand. So we pushed in one last time and just kind of brought marbles with the right wind. Ended up shooting this deer at like 15. Comes by us, shoot the buck. But what was so, you know, amazing about it to me was – you know, before when my grandpa who introduced me to hunting, you know, before he passed, we always used to say like, man, we're going to go hunt Montana someday. Like, you know, because he, he always wanted to hunt Montana. It was like a dream to hunt Montana. And then about this buck, like, was as beautiful as an evening as you could ask for right along the Powder River, just the sunboard, ringneck pheasant that grew up with my grandpa hunting, tackling all around us. You know, and I shoot the biggest buck of my life, which at the time, you know, was, he was ended up being 173 inches, you know, my first booner, biggest buck of my life. And I think it was just that moment. Um, you know, I had so much appreciation for the deer and so much appreciation for that moment of just sitting there in the sun when I saw this deer go down thinking I just shot the biggest buck of my life in the state that my grandpa and I always said we would go hunt. You know, and I just knew that he was, you know, looking down from the best seat in the house and just enjoying the hunt with me. And I think. For so many hunts following that one and before now introducing my little boy with Randy, with our buddies, I mean, I just think that it's such a hard question to answer because there's so many special moments. But since he was right there in the background, that was a very special moment to me to have taken that deer, you know, in the state. My grandpa and I always said we'd go. Unfortunately, never got to get there. But like I said, I know he I know he was watching the show. Oh, great story. Great story. It's just combining giant deer with family and you know i tell you the early season hunting is some of my favorite you know just being able to pattern deer and stuff like that i remember like the first time that i shot a velvet buck oh yeah. it's so cool you know because because I, I found him on camera you know got him in the spotting scope watched him do the same thing like three days in a row it's just it's awesome how patternable they are and uh, finally got the right night or the right wind on night three, got in there, saw him get out of his bed, do the same thing. And then I kind of lost track of him for a while, you know, didn't see him. And then it started getting, you know, closer to dark. I'm like, oh, man, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? Then all of a sudden I see him at like 20 yards and he's walking right under me. That deer, oh, that deer came in. And he started sniffing my tree pegs below me. So like I'm I'm at full draw at this point. I can't shoot because my stand's in the way. And I'm like <laughs> holding that full draw. He finally backs out, and I ripped him at like six yards. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's it's sick. just if, if you get a, if you get a chance to hunt early season somewhere like when they're in velvet or when they're you know just coming out of velvet that that predictability and and the ability to do that so so fun. Oh, you're right. No doubt about it. Mm -hmm. All right, Randy, how about you? Favorite hunting story? Man, I'm kind of like cozy. I mean, there's so <laughs> many that there's so many that come to mind. But man, honestly, I as far as 
as far as probably the animal that that means the most to me was was the deer that i shot this year with my bow in missouri and the reason being is like i was kind of touching on earlier you know this past year we we bought our first property in missouri that we've ever had of our own and man just something about owning your own property you know i grew up hunting public ground you know in, in southeast missouri southeast missouri is some of the toughest hunting in the Midwest, as far as, you know, when you think about Missouri, Southeast Missouri, when it comes to deer, it's probably the worst part of the state that there is. And I grew up hunting public ground around here, just like everybody else, you know, just a normal guy. And, um, you know, you'd be lucky if you saw a couple, three deer a day. I mean, that was a, that was a good day. And a lot of people look at what we do now and they think, oh man, you know, you guys grew up and, and you guys always had the best of everything. You must've had big farms that you hunted on private ground and really it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, Nate and I both grew up, we kind of cut our teeth in, in the woods of, of just scratching out whatever we could. And, you know, since then and, and doing headhunters and being in the outdoor industry, we've got some amazing, we've had some amazing blessings and, and to be able to hunt some of the best properties, no doubt in the entire country. But it wasn't always like that, and, and a lot of people don't realize that. So this past year, you know, finally being able to, to lock down our first ever property of our own here in Missouri and then diving in there and starting to make history with these deer and starting to make improvements on the ground. And this deer that I shot with my bow in early November, he was actually the first mature deer that I had ever got uh, on that place. And, and I started getting pictures of him and instantly knew that he wasn't a giant scoring deer. I mean, he was the deer was probably – 125 maybe 130 um you know a nice deer but not a giant but there was just something about you know being one of the first mature deer that i ever got on that place and then kind of building a history around that deer and formulating a plan and then finally when i got a crack at him there in early november man i'm telling you he by far wasn't one of my best deer that i ever shot but i can tell you that emotionally i was a train wreck like it just <laughs> it meant so much to me to to finally be able to shoot a deer on my own place that I'd waited my entire life to be able to get that opportunity. It was, it was a super cool moment for me. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, man, I got, I got choked up. And like oh, I said, he wasn't, didn't have anything to do with it being the biggest deer I'd ever shot. I mean, he was far from the biggest deer I ever shot, but I can tell you that, you know, as much as he meant to me, it, he, he meant more than anything on the wall that I got. So it's cool. a super cool hunt. Mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, you, you touched on like, you don't need a whole bunch of inches to make a great story, especially if you're targeting mature deer, you know, like there's, there's just something about going after a, you know, a four or five or older buck, like they've, they've survived that long. They know how to evade people and they're just, they're almost a different species once you get into that, that mature range. For sure. And, you know, like I've said about Randy in the past, you know, I mean, he's as real as they get when it comes to hunting. He's as good a hunter as there is in the entire country. And, you know, he loves it. That's one thing we could say is, is we love it. And like you said, it doesn't come down to the score of a deer, size of a deer, age of a deer for any of us. Whatever you go out there and whatever gets you like that, like you just said, whatever shakes you up and you sit there and at the end of it, you can't help but thank God for the amazing blessing you just had. I mean, that's what hunting is. You know what I mean? That That's, that's what drives us all you know it's not necessarily a score an inch anything like that it's it's those moments it's those atmospheres that you know sit down and you know i could show you two deer up top that are my most memorable deer that are literally a spike in a three-pointer just because i shot him with my grandpa you know when he was when he was back here so you know i i love what he said about that and i know how hard he's worked for that ground and 
you know, I, I really thought he was going to say his favorite hunt was when I shot the biggest deer on his property. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he shocked me again. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, oh, was a, just, that was a close just throwing second. you for that a loop. A close second. You know, I was like, I, I figured he'd bring up the epic hunt where he put me on. You know. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. All right. Well, so you've talked a little bit about this property you have in Missouri now. Can you can you go a little bit more into depth, like how you what it was like when you first purchased versus what you've done with it now? Yeah. So we're actually, we're actually getting ready to document some of, uh, some of the progress, but it's been a, it's been a cool ride, man, because it, the crazy thing was, is we actually looked at a different property that we were getting ready to buy. And, um, I don't know, it just didn't work out. It, it just, something about it wasn't right. And it just, at the end of the day, it, it wasn't right, the right fit. And it was so crazy because this property was actually the adjoining property of the property that we originally were going to purchase. And when we went in and looked at this place, I wasn't crazy about it. You know, we're, we're in, we're in the Southern part of Missouri and this property was almost a hundred percent timber. Like the entire property was, was timber, which I'm not crazy about. I like a property that's more broke up. That's got, you know, filled and timber. It just seems like you can do more with it and it's habitat wise. And, 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 you know, holding capacity is usually better on a property like that than a pure timber property. But one thing led to another, it, it worked out. We ended up buying it and uh, we went in and, and basically what we did is I wanted to open it up, be able to put food in it. So we brought dozers in, track hose in, and, and we put about 15 or 16 food plots and about 40 something acres of clearing into this property. And now we're going back and we're doing hinge cutting and making bed and areas on the on the upwind side of all these all these plots and all these places that we're stacking this food into so it's been a it's been a work in progress but i guess going full circle i'll say that you know what started out as a property that i really wasn't that excited about is now kind of rejuvenating in the fact that i'm kind of seeing where it's going and what it can turn into and man i truly think this is going to be one of the best whitetail properties in Southern Missouri when we get done with it. So I'm, I'm super pumped at the direction it's going. It's, it's been a lot of hard work, but it's been fun seeing the progress of it and kind of the, the overall transformation of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really cool to hear. And, um, you know, having a property that's, you know, mature with a bunch of timber, you know, it takes, 40 some years to start you know getting really mature trees you know if you buy if you buy a piece that that doesn't have the trees you know you can you can clear some stuff up and make a food plot in one year but to get trees like that it's going to take many 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 years so as long as you're willing to put in the work and the sweat equity you can uh, you can turn that around into a into a really good piece pretty fast I'm just waiting on Hosey to show up to do a little chunking and rocking in them food plots for me. <laughs> I'm more of a drag. I kind of just, I just kind of drag out of those food plots, you know, the box and I <laughs> get out there. It gets cracking that whip too hard on me. You know what I mean? I'm like, bro, I rolled my ankle sleigh riding. I can't just come out here and throw rocks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, so, so one aspect of that property that I, that I think is really cool is the ability to just, carve it out and and develop your, develop your food plots in like the positioning you exactly want in order to in order to you know 
have the best entry and exit routes and make sure you're not educating deer when you're out there. Uh, can you dive a little bit into how, how you picked out the exact places for food plots and like what sort of, what sort of different plants you're, you're putting in places? Yeah, for sure. So you hit the nail on the head, like as far as, as that property, you know, what I once saw as kind of a hindrance when we bought that place of it being all timber, it kind of turned out to be a blessing because just what you said there, I mean, basically instead of having fields already in place and having to work with those fields that was there in the areas that they were, we had a blank sheet of paper. So basically I just looked at, I just sat there and I studied that map and I studied the topos and just the topography of the ground and, and, and the access that was there versus the access that we could put in. And what you were saying is, is, is true. You know, I mean, it's so important. The access is, is 90% of it. You know, you got to be able to access these places and get in and out of them, you know, with, with, with making the least amount of impact that you can. And, and that's what I done. I mean, I looked and seen how we could get into these places. And I also looked at the topography and I, you know, I try to keep, I try to keep the majority of my stuff as high as I can for the wind and, and, um, and, and access, you know, those bottoms are hard to get in and out of the wind swirls down there, bad, just a, a number of things that make bottoms harder to hunt. So I really look for where, you know, I've got stuff coming together where it's a couple ridges coming together up on top. Just topography that makes those spots natural for the deer before you ever go in there and carve a food plot out of them. I want places, I don't want to have to put in a food plot and try to bring deer to a place they normally wouldn't be. I want to go in and find a place that deer would normally be and then put the food on top of them. And that's, that's what I've done. That's what I've done on those places. And then also, I've also picked places that I can put in a food plot and I can have a south and east facing slope on the upwind side of my food plots, because, you know, that that's where you're going to make the best bedding areas. And that's where like right now, over the next couple of months, I'm going to go in and I'm going to hinge cut a lot in four to five acre places on the upwind side of these food plots on these south and east facing slopes and points and make bedding areas out of them because I want to make those deer feel comfortable in and around those food plots. And I also want to get them bedding close to them without being too close. You still got to be able to access these food plots, but by, by keeping them in there and, and making a bedding area within a couple hundred yards of these food plots, you're just increasing the daylight activity tenfold. So, that that's so important. You know, a lot of people that has properties where they're not able to develop them, you know, they, their deer doesn't show up until right at dark or their deer are nocturnal. And a lot of, a lot of times this is because those deer are coming from a long ways. I mean, it can be, it could be pressure, but a lot of times it's because of how far they're having to travel. So by making these food plots where you want them to be, and then making the bedding areas close by, you get those deer up on their feet and they're hitting these food plots well in the daylight hours. So that's kind of been my, that's kind of been my strategy and my overall uh, project here the last month or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love I love the logic that goes into that. So, how how long have you had this property now? Or is is just like your first year or two that you've had it, or have you? Yeah, been able so to... we we oh. purchased it last at the end of last April. So this was our first hunting season on it, and we didn't have it, you know, nearly set up um completely this fall and it's going to be a work in progress i mean it's going to be a four to five year project that we're just kind of chipping away at and doing more as we go along um 
but this was our first fall on it. And like I said, I mean, so far what I've seen and, and kind of what I'm seeing is I think it's going to really be something special whenever we get it done. It's been, it's been a fun project and I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at already the results that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So, so one thing I'm really curious on is the, you know, the work you've done out there, how have like the more mature deer tolerated what you're doing? Like say you're doing your hinge cutting and, and this food plot creation. Are you, are you getting the more mature deer to be a little bit skittish or have they accepted what you've done pretty quickly? Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting question that, <clears throat> you know, you, you hear a lot of mixed results on that question whenever you ask several different people, but you know, honestly, I guess kind of my strategy on that stuff is, and, and kind of how I've always handled it, is a mature deer is pretty fragile. It's a pretty fragile animal, you know. Uh, you can bump them around pretty easy. But what I found is if you can kind of keep the majority of that of that activity outside of your hunting season, it seems like them deer are going to filter back and, and get back pretty normal to their everyday living. As long as you're not in there in the middle of hunting season and you're trying to hunt these deer, Give them a little bit of get give them a little bit of buffer. You know, the majority of our work that we done last year, we done in late spring and then throughout the summer, and then by you know August we kind of shut it down, and then we started working on our food plots and putting you know putting food in the ground. Um, and it seemed like they really got back to normal quicker than I expected them to. So that's going to be kind of my my strategy and and my overall outlook going forward too. We got to we got a timber crew in there right now that's doing some select cutting for us. We're getting managing some timber that's that we got some older mature timber and we're doing that for a couple different reasons. We're we're wanting to manage our older timber to get it out of there as some of it's starting to die and, and just maturing. But also in, in big mature timber, it's it's great to look at, but it it absolutely sucks for deer habitat. And mm-hmm. so that's another reason why we're having it, you know, select cut. We can get the timber value out of it but we're thickening that ground up at the same time because we're going to have about 200 acres this year of nothing but just treetops and limbs and just scraps from this select harvest. That's going to really thicken those woods up nice and, and, and make the, the cover and the brows a lot better come fall. Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this, like three or four years down the road. Now that you, after you've had those years of progress and been able to like, watch the deer and and see how they interact with uh with all your changes that'll be pretty cool right yeah and i mean everything that we do i'm trying to anything that we do on that place i'm trying to do it to improve habitat so i'm not i'm not i'm trying not to do anything that's going to hinder it everything every piece of and every step along the way is is something that i feel like is going to improve it so whether that's the case or not well like you said we'll see four or five years down the road and it's, you know, like I tell everybody, man, it's, it's a little bit of a trial and error. There's no, there's no secret sauce out there that, you know, it's like, well, you, it is so cut and dried. You've got to follow step by step by step of this process to make an incredible deer property. Every property is different. And um, I just kind of go in on those properties and, and look at them and treat them as a one-off property and kind of set it up depending on what I see and how the property's laid out and, like I said, I won't do exactly the same thing on each property. It'll be a little bit different, but a lot of the same processes will take place too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So do you have, uh, do you have any deer that you really have your eye on that Nate hasn't shot off your property yet? Yeah, I've got one. I've got, 
February when I come out, you know, I want to try to see what I think was going to do the most jumping here in the next year. <laughs> he he cried this year until I finally put him on the biggest deer that I had. He's going to be on his wall now in Pennsylvania, but no, we uh we've got some good ones coming up, man. We uh we passed a lot of deer this year. We we were very selective on that new property as far as what we shot off of it this year just because it was the first year. We kind of wanted to use it as a as almost just a learning year to see what was there and and that what we what kind of inventory we were going to have. So we passed up a lot of nice deer and we had a couple mature deer that was nice upper end deer that made it through that I know made it. Um that should be really really good deer. So I don't know, I'm going to have to save one of those. For, I think it's my turn this year to shoot a big one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> He's the no, man. I'll I'll let Hosey shoot another big one next year. He I put, always do. I can't even hate on him for it. Like I was like, I mean, he literally put me on a big one. There was something I could say, and I'm I, ironically, which it doesn't have much. I'm at a loss for words. I can't even bust him about anything. <laughs> oh, that's too good. So, you know, we, we we've heard a lot about uh, about your property and how excited excited you are to see how that uh, comes to fruition, but. Um, what is uh what is a hunt you have coming up on the calendar this year that that you're really excited for besides your own property? Man, for me, um, probably the elk stuff. I I get I get a huge kick out of elk hunting, man. I love it like nothing nothing else. And I'm sure we'll probably go to Montana again. We always do Montana in October, and then as well as normally we hunt New Mexico every year in September. So those those elk hunts are kind of they're out of the norm from the whitetail stuff, and I'm just absolutely ate up with elk hunting. So I always look forward every year to them being on the calendar. So for me, that's probably that's probably the ones I'm most excited about outside of hunting my own place in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excited. Elk, oh, elk are next- elk are so fun. You know, oh, like yeah. I haven't I've only had a chance to hunt them like twice and and the second time was just a complete failure of a hunt so we don't want to talk about that but, uh, <laughs> we've just, had plenty of those over the yeah years. just just the ability to to have the vocalization with with such a big animal is cool oh it's yeah just something you can hardly hardly get anywhere else you know like, it's like turkeys you can vocalize but elk when you hear one wailing in your face like that's just something else no doubt. I tell everybody, it reminds me of, I don't know what hunting dinosaurs would have been like, but that's the closest thing I feel like it's like. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So on, on that elk, uh, on that elk trip, what are, what are three, three things you have in your pack that you definitely couldn't leave home without? Man, on the elk trip, I would say, uh, I would say a GPS first and foremost you know, out there, it seems like it's, it's easy to get turned around, especially like in New Mexico and you're hunting New Mexico. So you think about chasing elk and you think about the mountains, but a lot of that stuff in New Mexico is relatively flat. So you get out there and all those junipers and all those pines and everything looks exactly the same. So it's always a good idea to have a GPS, always going to have an outdoor edge knife on my pack. Um, not that I always need it, but if I do, I got it. And then uh, I don't know, as far as the third thing, I was kind of thinking along the lines of, of whitetail hunting. Um, I don't know what the third thing I probably, probably a good snack. I would say that, that that's always for me. A, that's a necessity is a, is a good snack <laughs> nice. in the pack. What's, what's exactly. your favorite pack snack? Man, I would say my go-to is peanut butter crackers. I love peanut butter crackers. They're, they're my go-tos. 
Ooh, yeah, <laughs> that is pretty good. You know, I'm I'm more of a fan of the pepper jack myself, but right? uh, but I'd say peanut butter comes in a close second. <laughs> <laughs> All right, how about you, Nate? What uh, what trip are you most excited about? And uh, and what are three things that you can't go home can't leave home with on that trip? Um, I'd say right now the hunt that I'm looking forward to the most that I'm I'm kind of creating in my head. I mean. I'm kind of not even thinking towards fall yet because I'm going into spring turkey mode here. Every opening day, it's tradition that my wife and I, you know, we hit the turkey woods every opening day. We've done it for every year that I can remember. And uh, here, I want to boy out. You know, he's three now. He can, well, we've been playing a bunch of Power Rangers. I've been watching his techniques. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> to sneak around now. You know, we watch Spider-Man get low we talk in our hunting voices so i want to take him out this opening day with my wife and i and have him next to me and and go pro while we're calling up you know yelping at some turkeys and stuff and i just want to kind of just let it happen however it happens but i just want to see his personality out there with it um you know and involve him this year in here for pennsylvania so right now that that's where i'm sitting at you know like i said we're working every day we're spider-man we're all chuck norris shows rambo you know, we're getting in turkey hunt mode, and, and I, I'm really excited to take him out and let him hear one gobble. And he calls them, and we have a turkey that always roosts up behind the house and calls them all the time, so he's heard them gobble before. But I want to see I want to get out in the action. And uh, <laughs> Oh, that is, that is so cool. And, you know, there's just something to bringing your kids out there. Is, is this going to be the first time you'll have them in the field out hunting? Well, I mean, I've had them out, like, you know, just walking with me and stuff like that. And I, I had him out sitting in a box blind, not necessarily hunting, but he's been out in the woods constantly because we walk the ridge by my house all the time. Yeah. But this, like, this is going to be the first one that's like hunt mode, you know what I mean? And, you know, I feel like it's going to be good, you know, because a lot of times when we're turkey hunting, Randy's like my little boy. And <laughs> 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 if we screw it up, you know, I guess, like, hey, that's all right, buddy. But no, I'm, I'm super excited to just involve him and really just like he's got such an interest in it. We shoot my turkey mouse with his dart gun. And uh, I just want to, as a dad, like, you know, the greatest blessing I've ever been given is to is to be a dad, you know, and, and my wife and I are so proud of him. So I'm, I'm really pumped to get him out in the woods. Mm-hmm, absolutely. There's just it's so fun bringing the kids out there just to, you know, show them new experiences and just see the excitement in their eyes. You know, you kind of got to have tempered expectations because, you know, you never know when they might be loud or, you know, moving too much or whatever. But, you know, the good thing about turkey hunting is, you know, it's, it's getting warm out and, uh, and, you know, you're, there's a lot of turkeys around. If you, if you miss one, you know, there's, there's plenty of them there. You, you can have a round too exactly right all right well that was that was such a great story there nate i'm i'm really looking forward to uh to what the future's bringing and you know watching watching that stuff with uh with your son there so how do we uh how do we stay connected with you guys can you let us know what your uh what your instagram is and um and also if there's anybody you'd like to thank yeah, for sure. So our Instagram and Facebooks, we both have our personal Nate Hosey and Randy Birdsong. And then also we've got our Headhunters TV page on Facebook and Instagram. And then our airtime as far as on the Outdoor Channel is 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursday nights on the Outdoor Channel. So that's kind of our prime airing um, where you can c- catch all the new shows. And as far as thanking everybody, man, I 
I got to say thanks to the guys over at, at Scentlock for getting this set up. You know, they've been a huge partner of ours uh, for many, many years, and, and they got this stuff set up with you guys. We really appreciate them getting that set up, and just thanks for, for having us. Yeah, and I just want to say, you know, thank you to you for your time, for having us, and uh, for, you know, letting us share some stories with you. You know, obviously this is something that we love to do, and uh, thanks, you know, big thanks to Scentlock and, and all our partners and everybody who takes the time to watch our show or, if you don't watch our show, everybody who loves the outdoors, we thank you for supporting all that we do. Uh, we love this country. We love being able to get out there and, you know, hunt and fish and enjoy God's creation in the outdoors. And we love the red, white, and blue. So for everybody who supports us, and we, we really, really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, guys, for being on there. You know, it's it's been great. I feel like it's been just kind of a sit-by-the-campfire, chat-around story, just, uh, you know, hearing all the stuff you got to say, where you guys have come from, what, you, what you're looking forward to. It's been, uh, it's been a great segment. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us, man. We enjoyed thank it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. We'll have to do this again sometime. And, uh, you know, best of luck with your upcoming seasons. You Thank know, you. three, four Appreciate years from now, if, if we come back and I'm not hunting at Randy's property, you know that his management strategy didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that property, we screwed that up. You know, we yeah, got like, ourselves you know, a new said, one. Three to four years, if I'm saying I'm hunting somewhere else, it's because he either threw me off or his plan didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, All right. Well, you know, thanks again and, uh, and best of luck with your upcoming seasons. Thank Same you. Wish thanks you and your family us. and everybody the best. You just heard our conversation with Nate Hosey and Randy Birdsong of Headhunters TV. Those guys provided a ton of great information, some hunting stories, and I'm really looking forward to hear, seeing the content that they have produced. So before you leave here, make sure to head to the description of this podcast. Get yourself registered for the virtual hunt series on March 30th through April 1st. If you like what you heard today, please give us a like on the listening platform you chose today. Make sure to follow us on Shields Outdoors, Facebook, and Instagram. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.